0: Welcome to The Running Public with Bracken Crocker and Kirk DeWint. Whether you are a brand new runner or you already have a great mustache,
1: we're here to help you increase your running knowledge and present it at a practical level. This is The Running Public. When you're ready to take your training or racing to the next level, go to the runningpublic.com we have both monthly subscription training plans, 19.99 99 a month, and Bracken and I both offer one-on-one customized coaching. Again, go to therunningpublic.com and check out our offerings. How you doing? I'm tired.
2: How are you? <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, so many. <laughs> I'm going to go travel. That's probably the big one. That one kicks me in the butt. When did you get back? Mm, Sunday.
0: Yeah. Oh, you didn't mess around. You came right back.
2: Yeah. If um if I had known that the race was gonna be Friday earlier, I probably would have came back Saturday.
0: Yeah, that that's good pieces of information to get out to athletes a little earlier.
2: Yeah, because I mean I think we only knew two weeks ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um and I try and be gone for as short a time as possible. So I definitely would have booked my flight home earlier if I had known. Yeah.
0: Did you travel solo?
2: Yeah. We haven't done an international With Lilia, um, she'll be coming to DC with us, but, uh, even our one hour flights to Vegas, she does not like it. So 10 to 18 hour travel is too much for her right now.
3: Yeah.
1: Are these all business trips for you? You know, you have like the, uh, the two types when you go to a race, I'm the business trip type. Like I get me there, get me home. And then some people spend, like, five days, like, everywhere they go, right? I'm going to see the country. I'm going to see the world. You're a business trip, girl. Is that how it works?
2: Yeah, if they were, um, if, if like, my family were coming with me, then we would spend some time. So we are going to stay an extra day or two in D.C. Because um, my husband has never been, and, and he definitely wants to see a lot of the museums. So we will spend, like, an extra day or two there. But just because they're coming with me, if I were going alone, no, I would... I would just go there, race, come home.
0: Kirk, have you done DC? Um,
1: no, but I'm going to say I envision like an entourage around like the world record holder, like going to a big event. Like you've got like your crew over your right shoulder and your left shoulder, somebody carrying your bags and spoon feeding you along the way. Is that not how it is?
3: <laughs> uh,
2: very far from that. <laughs> no. Um, if Anthony, so Anthony's my husband, if he were to come with me, he probably would try and help out with. Carrying a bag, so I, I have like one less thing to carry. But no, it's um for the most part they they came to Chicago. Um, but when we bring baby into, our hands are already full. So mm-hmm. it's um no, I do all my own bag carrying. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: appreciate you hopping on on short notice, Lauren. We were we were watching the race this weekend. Brecken and I spent the weekend together, and um. I rarely just sit down and watch a race. Like I just, that's not something like I do. I'll watch it in hindsight when I'm cross training, but I don't often watch live. And I did. I think it's like the first live race I've watched actually, because I'll always catch it later. And um, it was quite the performance, I would say. Uh, how are you feeling? So we're talking to Lauren Weeks. Lauren Weeks smashed the High Rocks Women's Pro World Record this weekend in Vienna. Um, I have a few things specifically I want to dive into you race related and not race related, but like, just tell us about the weekend. Like what, did you know this is coming?
2: No. Um, no, I mean, going into it, I, I didn't even feel very like, sometimes I feel like really pumped up and ready to race and super excited. I was just like still laying in bed in the middle of the day. Like, I don't even feel like I'm about to go mm. race a bunch of people right now. And it the race is in like five hours. <laughs>
0: was that like a general not wanting to leave home and everything or was part of that having a night race cuz night races make the day really funky
2: so i think i haven't had a night race that was domestic yet so here in the u.s. okay um i think that would be probably a different story um because it would actually feel like a night race mm-hmm. when when it's a night race over um like overseas i don't even know which way is up so like they could put the race at whatever time of the day and, and it doesn't matter. Cause I don't know. What, I have no idea what time of the day it is. Um, I think like, yeah, part of it, like I really didn't want to leave this time. And I don't know if it's, if it's like Lily is getting older and she's, and and literally every day there's something new and, and I don't want to miss a single one or um, there's just more interaction and communication. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just like did not, mm. I did not want to
1: go. That's interesting to me. I I've heard this before from people with families, young families in particular. And I don't have like I don't have kids, so I, I haven't experienced this yet. But it's like if I'm going to take time away, like I am going to like show up and make it worth the while. Like I can't miss out on my kids' weekend to go lay an egg. Does any of that cross your mind?
2: Ah. Uh. No, but because she's not quite at that that point yet where um, she's not involved in her own sport. She's 19 months old. So uh, if she were and I were missing a soccer game, for instance, um, I think it would be a completely different story because that's not something I want to miss. Hmm. Um, right now, all of her days kind of look look the same and she doesn't have any of her own special stuff yet. Um but those days will come and and I think my answer then will be very different from like what it is today.
0: The last time we talked and from what I've heard from you in the past and just the little glimpses that we get into because you're not the most outgoing social media, like here's every aspect of my life type of person. But the little we've gleaned from you and from the last interview, and if people didn't listen, go back and listen to the interview right now. It's my mom's. It's in her top three or four favorite episodes. So that's- is a good chat. I mean, something that Colleen's on board.
2: I appreciate that. I'm all on board for having the moms behind me. <laughs> she loves it.
0: And she loved the way that you- Interacted with your daughter and the way that everything seems to balance for you. But anyway, one of the big takeaways was that you seem on the outside to put the least amount of pressure and emphasis on race-specific readiness from a yearly standpoint. That you'll be ready when you're ready, but you don't rush it. You'd rather play in the mountains and do CrossFit. And you seem to not take... Like if you took a snapshot of someone else's training, yours would look much less specific. And so whenever people are doing predictions or we're drafting or anything like that, I always think or say, I just don't know what you're doing in training. And so we have no clue what version of you we're going to get. Like we know you're going to race well, but we don't know how specific you've been. And I would have bet a lot of money that you weren't bothering to get super specific yet. And then you go out there and do that. Uh, so I guess just <laughs> shed some light on that process. Where were you with training? It was that part of why you didn't expect anything great. And then why this?
2: Um, I'm going to touch on like the specificity of it, okay. because that doesn't really change too much, no matter what point of the year I'm in. Okay. Um, I think uh, I come from a place where I believe like you build fitness. And that's what you're building. You're building fitness. And and Hyrox is a great race to train for to try and increase your fitness. But those specific movements within Hyrox, doing them over and over and over again, are not necessarily going to give you your best version of of fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think adding in a lot of other types of movements, a lot of like different time domains um, that is going to make you more fit. And if I just believe that the the more fit you are, the better you can potentially do in the race. And and you really only need to touch on the specifics of the race, like here and there. Um, I'd say I try and get at least once a week, like touching on on things that I know I need to be doing in the race. So sleds, farmer parries, um, things that are like that you would only really see on the race. But uh, if I can, I'll do it twice. But you you're not going to catch me doing it more than twice a week.
0: And that was so all the way through this, that's not different. What what has your focus been l- recently? Or do you not do you not script cuz cuz Anthony scripts what you guys do in training, right?
2: Yeah, he is uh, the one who's programming everything for me.
0: Is there a heading on it or is, does it just kind of flow from place to place and you're just happy to be working?
2: We do have different um different cycles, um mm-hmm. uh, but in can you I guess more elaborate in terms of like what type of heading you're looking for.
0: I, I guess I'm not looking. I'm not trying to, to to guess really. Last time we talked, you were just really enjoying mountain running and trail running. You're like, if I could just hit like 60 to 80 a week and do CrossFit a few times, I'm happy. And that seemed to be like an engine building time, or maybe that wasn't. I don't know what that heading was. Like in this block, we are attempting to blank. Was this just a typical block for you, and you're just overall? more fit or is there something you can point to to why this happened
2: uh so many so many places i'm going to start with with the previous episode i guess then okay. um and so that's my ideal way to train uh that's not necessarily what i'm doing that's just what i want to do uh, like that if i sense. if i had if i had my choice that's what i'd be doing i'd be on the mountains and then jumping into a crossfit class and hanging out with buddies and throwing down for five to 15 minutes and Mm -hmm. and maybe throwing some weights around. Um, But that's not going to get me in the best shape for high rocks. So as much as that's what I want to do, it's not what I am doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, And then the second part pointing to, what was it pointing towards fitness?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why, what, what happened recently to, to, to prompt this or is this just your continued upward trend of overall fitness?
2: Uh, yes, definitely an upward trend of overall fitness, but um, there's always variables in training. Mm -hmm. And I would say I think there's three things that have made probably a significant change from November to to now in terms of like my fitness level. Uh, starting with I think like second week of December or something. Um, I guess to preface it, I don't have a ton of experience. And like track races or road races. So I don't really know exactly what my pace times are supposed to be for different training. Um, and I do threshold runs twice a week and I have, uh, I do them on my treadmill at home just because I'm not going to not hitting any fast paces with a stroller. So I do them on, on the treadmill and, uh, I just picked a pace that I thought was something I could do for an hour and that would be my, my threshold intervals. Um, Anthony decided that he didn't think that was the right pace. <laughs> so we went and got a lactic threshold test or a meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometime in December, I actually tested like where my lactic threshold is. Um, and it turns out I was, uh, severely sandbagging and <laughs> what I should have been running my intervals at versus what I am and have been running my intervals at since like the beginning of December.
1: We got to ask so, what reading uh, it gave Based you right off away. of
2: those numbers. <laughs> we got to know. Uh, well, based off of those numbers, I, um, when I, when I thought I was doing threshold runs and I thought I was in like my lactic threshold, I was still in like an aerobic phase. Um, I was never actually tipping into like a lactic threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry, what what were you asking with the numbers?
1: Oh, did it did it give did you get down to like approximate pacing? Like how fast were you running before when you were sandbagging versus what was the pace gap there and beats per minute? I'm curious.
2: Yeah. So I um it's calibrated, it's so all all treadmills are kind of gonna run differently. Right. Like if I were to go to my my gym treadmill or even I could pick any one of the ones in a line on it, it would be different than the one I have at home. So so the testing I did is specific to my equipment at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't be as accurate if I were to go somewhere else and do it. So if I go on vacation and I'm trying to do this, it's it'll be close, but it won't be exactly. Um, but previously, I was running my intervals at like an 8.7. And I, according to that test in December, I was supposed to be doing it anywhere from a 9.4
0: to a 9.7. Oh, wow. So That's a like, big gap. Yeah for mm-hmm. like a whole one-off. Well, we're in the weeds already. So what what did that do on an individual workout basis? Because we talk a lot about the feeling of threshold and how it shouldn't be a fight and it like it's challenging, but it's not kind of, and the workout builds to you. Was that not your case? Was it instantly challenging to the level that you thought, I would have never thought I was in threshold here? Or did your body just respond and you're like, oh yeah, I probably should have been here the whole time?
2: Uh it more the latter, like I probably okay. should have been here the whole time, like the so the paces I'm doing now on the treadmill like they're they're still not uncomfortable, like so I just again i don't I don't have the experience of like running on the road and what it feels like to be pushing for mm-hmm. pushing for an hour and and actually pushing, so I just went off of what I thought I could do, and um I was way off. Uh, because even even the numbers I'm doing now, like they like I'm I feel comfortable with them. So it was it's just interesting to be able to have like some science and data behind it. Uh, and I probably would have never changed and upped the pace. So when I thought I was doing quality work, I was not doing any quality work actually. I was just taking rest in between aerobic intervals.
0: I'm assuming you were doing about thirty to forty minutes of work originally and now you're still doing it, but you're at a mile per hour faster. Yeah. Is the recovery kind of the same?
2: In terms of like on a day to day basis. Yeah. I actually don't feel that um running takes too much out of me. It's it's the it's certain lifts and certain accessory movements are mm. are what really kind of take a toll and put me back. Um but I I feel like I can bounce back after any at least any of the run run workouts I'm currently doing very quickly, but uh it's it takes quite <laughs> it takes quite a bit of time to come back off of like a lift or god forbid a long single leg workout or something mm-hmm. like that 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 takes me a really long time to bounce back from
1: There's probably a good bit more to that than just like the surface conversation like if you think. Two threshold workouts a week in combination with them being done on the treadmill in combination of not. Two running threshold workouts a week. Sorry. What other ones are you doing?
3: So
2: instead of we've read into all the different types of double thresholds and we do see the benefit in it. But there's also a really high risk of injury, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I do a double threshold twice a week. But my second threshold of the day is always on a machine.
1: Mm. I love that. Well, that actually just goes along with the point I was kind of on my way to, which is like the dam- The damage caused by the treadmill is a little bit less than firm concrete outside. The damage caused by threshold work versus VO2 max type efforts is a little bit less threshold than it would be harder efforts. And then you combine machine work, which yes, like systemically and metabolically, you're just crushing it. But at the same time, like you're getting the most time in zone with the least amount of like uh pay for it so to speak later and so like it kind of makes sense that that would be a sustainable approach and then of course you're smashing yourself like like structurally in the the weights which would make sense why that would linger longer but my curiosity is because you live down you're somewhere south right now like you could run outside in the winter right it looks like behind you there's no snow right i forget where you're at now
2: I'm in Salt Lake City. We just had a ton of rain today, so um so no no snow on the ground right now,
1: okay. do you think that now that you've been doing this for a while, like the two questions I have is one as soon as you switched your like lactate um like speed up, let's call it your pace, first of all, did you notice like a noticeable bump like a month later you're like, oh yeah, I'm more fit now, like did you see that concrete difference, and then the second is, is there magic to the treadmill, do you think? Is that actually a better choice than going outside?
2: I don't, um, test necessarily my, uh, my training very often. So I did, I did run a half marathon in January, but it was my first one. So I don't, ha- I didn't have like data to go off of, um, what, what I did have was how I felt during it. Um, and then kind of like afterthoughts of, okay, what pace could I have actually run if now that I know what it feels like to, to run for that long. Uh, and I, and I did feel good. Like I did feel that the change in pace had, had made a difference, but I can't, I can't be too specific about it because I don't have anything to base it off of. Um, and I love the treadmill running because I have no idea what pace I'm going when I'm, out on the road and I hate looking down at my watch to check it to see if I'm I'm not comfortable enough with my stride to know when I'm running a certain pace that that's the pace I'm running like I have to constantly be looking because I don't know if I'm hitting what I'm supposed to be hitting so for me just putting it on the treadmill um, makes it more mindless I don't have to think about it otherwise I'd be constantly thinking about it the whole time
1: yeah There's a lot of power to that. This, I don't remember if it was when we talked to you last or if I heard you on another podcast and that it may be longer ago than we chatted with you. And I don't know, what was it? A year and a half ago, maybe? I forget how long ago it was. It wasn't, it does, I guess it's irrelevant. I think
2: it might've been less than a year.
1: Was it a year? Okay. Maybe a year. But I remember either talking, talking to you or listening to you. And it was like, yeah, I just like, like you've really come a long ways. Like. It was like, yeah, I go out and run easy. I just like to go run easy. And then I do my gym stuff. And then I show up and I like crush races like we back in the Spartan games days. And when you were doing, I don't know what, like that was really your training style. And now you have like a lactate threshold test and you're running double thresholds and all of that. Like am I, is the discrepancy there accurate? Like you used to like go out and run easy and then do these crossfit. Like, is it changed completely for you? Cause that's what I'm hearing. That's
2: 100% accurate. I, I've i been doing easy runs every day since I was in high school, probably, just because it was, well, It started it started in high school because I decided I wanted to be on the lacrosse team. So to practice, since I had never done it before and I was a senior, I would take my lacrosse stick, put a ball in it, and run around the streets in the morning, practice cradling the ball so I could learn how to Cradle lacrosse stick, Um, and through that I turned. I really loved getting up and running, so I ditched the lacrosse stick and just kind of continued from there. But it was always just running whatever pace I wanted, enjoying the day. Uh, So yeah, it's been a a drastic change. Even even Spartan Games, still at that time, I would just be going out for whatever length of time that I was running then, and uh, there would definitely be no no quality running workouts, um, anything quality I was doing, I was getting through
1: CrossFit. Mm. Yeah. That's a scary prospect. When did that switch for you? Was it like one toe in the water then two? Um, because really what I'm hearing is like, you went from like sort of training by feel and let's call it, um, enjoying the day to day as part of your routine. And then suddenly like, uh, it feels maybe the opposite of that. Um, you're very purposeful every time you put your shoes on or step into a workout. Like what was that over? Was that a like turn of the page or was this, this, has this been a gradual, like more and more in the weeds for you?
2: Uh, yes. So both, (laughs) um, it was, it's been gradual, but it also was definitely like definitely a turning point. Um, it, it just became more structured after I had Lily, like I did more research, like Time is more of the essence. I'm not going to waste my time just mm. doing a bunch of fluff. Like if I want to, if I, if I want to get results in a shorter period of time, I need to be more diligent about it. So, um, it was after I had her that there was actually structure.
0: Kirk and I are both obviously runners at our core. It's what we did the most, the longest in our sport, but. I don't think there's ever been a sport that moved the needle for me from a mental standpoint more than high rocks, simply because there are so many variables and factors to get right. And as far as we can tell right now, there's no set way to do it. You talked about you and Anthony really researched every style of training out there. And like most pro camps, you guys seem to have settled on the fact that the double threshold training, whether that's exactly how it's implemented or not, is probably the best bang for your buck training plan that we're aware of right now. It's the most sustainable and it's the easiest to tweak for the individual athlete. Like there's a really good template to follow and it's very adaptable. You've settled into something that I really like as well, which is I'm not going to double on the run, but I'll double with other things. And then it allows you to push the envelope in intensity zones and in other places. So it's really cool. The sport of running is great and it's black and white. But hybrid, there is no template yet. I think I've had, I've probably talked with four or five different people in the last month, just conversations and pick their brain, who would be considered top 10 or 15 in the world, men or women. And about half of them follow the same principles and execute it totally differently. And the other half are all out there doing something different than everyone else around them. And on any given day, they run the same time. And that's fascinating to me. I think there'll be a template someday, but I don't know if it'll ever be quite as specific as running, but you come at it from a different mindset. So is that an overwhelming thing? Or are you able to just hand off to Anthony and say, I know fitness is fitness and we'll get there. Or do you, do you kind of like to micromanage a little bit? The more you get dialed into it, is it a slippery slope to get more and more involved and dialed in?
2: Um... I'm more than a little bit micromanage, I'd say. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, he, um, he is the one coming from like an engineer background, tons of data, loves the research, loves numbers, loves science, um, gets it all together. Uh, but, but sometimes I need to, to remind him that like we are human beings and we get tired and there's, like <laughs> like the sometimes if a if a time domain is put in there I'm, and it, and it's for certain amounts and you should hit you should be able to finish at this time, I'm like, well, I mean, sure, I could hit that pace for round one, but that's a really hard pace. I can't hit that for five rounds. Like I'm gonna get tired. So there's kind of give and take there and in, in reminding him that I'm human and I can't just be a robot and, and go through things. So um that is great. And until it's not.
0: When I said that there's not yet like a best way to train for this, you had a instant reaction to that. What what was that?
2: Um Well, you had said that you think there would be like a more for- firm template at the end. And I, and I think that's interesting. Cause I, I actually, I don't think there's ever going to be like a one, one right way to do it. I think it's, um, if you look at some of the people that are, are sharing the stuff that they're doing and they're putting out the programming mm-hmm. that they have, it's, it's so different and everybody is still getting really good results. And, and I think you just need to, to kind of explore what is out there and, and there's going to be one that resonates better with for you than another. Um, so I think it's, it's really cool that there are so many options to, to, to choose from, or to try, and and to figure out, okay, this is the best approach for me. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, I don't I don't know if there ever will be one one right way.
0: Um, I don't think there could be one right way, but I think we're still in the onboarding stage of the sport, where everyone's not everyone, most people are trying to get to their core competency across the board of the eight stations. And the way for everyone to get there is going to be different for every single person. But my belief is once people get to the point where they're splitting tents, there's probably going to be a, like, a power-based athlete approach, an endurance-based athlete approach, and like for lack of better terms, a hybrid approach. And there'll be wiggle room in there. But I think we're probably seeing people like you, Meg, maybe Michaela, uh, getting to the point where their core competencies are high enough that they're starting to figure out what is my sustainable training style rather than how do I ever get good at lunges or how do I cut 15 seconds off my ski. I think only the top end are there. So I don't think we're even close to figuring out the template. And maybe you're right. There may not be a actual template, maybe just like a theory.
2: And ideally, um, you're someone coming from a background that is that has done both of these things. So like Meg, for example, has like competed very highly in powerlifting and she was also a D one runner. Um, I wouldn't, I don't have any like excellent running background, but I've been running and logging miles literally every single day for like 20 years. (laughs) Um, and, and then I like have other sports backgrounds and I was, I tried really hard to be competitive in CrossFit and, and then you see like hunters, also like comes from almost like a bodybuilding ish type and he's doing all these endurance sports so ideally you have had a mix coming into it It just makes it a lot easier but but there are going to be people coming in who are coming from just a running background or just a living lifting background and their training will look different because they're going to need to work on whatever that major weakness is so some of us were just really lucky yeah to come in from like a mixed background.
1: Well, I think one half of the model is the majority of your aerobic conditioning still spent running, right? So maybe one half of the model can be figured out. I feel like it's that that other half, right? And you and something you talked about, which we preach on this podcast about, um, like fitness is fitness and getting more like aerobically fit, like that. Like no matter how you get there, the point is you get there, right? Um, and I couldn't agree more at the same time i wonder if you are let's say a pure runner and you find this sport and it intrigues you there must be some sort of different approach like do you believe that because of your crossfit background and your strength background that's it's a little different coming from one and like we talk about these different templates like if you're a runner or a power athlete finding the sport my i think it's worth the conversation to say like does it differ if you running is your thing and you haven't spent much time under a barbell does fitness not become fitness anymore cuz you don't have the you don't have the framework yet to build the house. Like, what are your thoughts on all of that?
2: I mean, you don't want to lose the fitness that you've, that you've built. So um, I would maybe not be running as much as you are if, if you're already like head and shoulders above everybody else in that running department. Um, but you can't just stop running. Um, you can supplement it for other types of fitness. You can add in things like rowing and skiing, which is, is still building an aerobic fitness but there's some muscular part to it that's not just like pounding on the ground with our legs uh but you will you will definitely need to add in quite a bit more strength work um for a runner I would probably say mostly single leg stuff I don't think you need to work like worry too much about Heavy, heavy squats in the beginning. I think you can like work up to that, but I would start with more accessory lifts if you're not used to lifting, and then build up to the bigger lifts.
1: Do you consider strength part when you say fitness? Like fitness is fitness. Do you encompass strength in that, or are you talking about output?
2: I encompass I encompass the strength with that, and yeah. and like we add a lot of things that we kind of term applied strength to it. So hmm. um, I try and. I try and keep in things like power cleans and things that where I'm using my strength to do like a quick, short power outburst outburst. And, um, so no, I would definitely consider that. That's, that is a part of my fitness. That is how I'm building a different type of fitness. That's not just aerobic fitness.
0: Listening to you talk, I'm flashing back. We did an episode probably about a month ago where we just posed foolish training scenarios to each other they like, how would you train for PR in a 5k without being able to do any interval work? And then one of them was, what would you do? How would you prep for high rocks if you were never allowed to touch a barbell or, a, or, or any strength work? And now hearing you talk, I'm curious about that. Cause you seem, I don't think you get, you guys get you and Anthony, that team gets credit since you're not like pimping out a training program or like building this app empire or whatever it is that a lot of people in our sport are doing. And. Smart for them to do it, but it seems like you two do think about this as much as anyone. We just don't always hear about you thinking about it. So in that scenario, taking someone and prepping them for high rocks without a barbell, how do you, how do you go about doing that?
2: Well, uh, well, marketing is definitely not our strength. <laughs> that is far from our strength. Um, but so the question was, how do you make somebody strong without a barbell?
0: If yeah, let's let's say you an athlete came to you and said, "I'm doing Toronto in fall." You've got time to work with them, but I cannot lift weights.
2: Like at all? No dumbbells? No. Correct.
0: What are you working with them?
2: You can still do body weight things. Is that? Is that? They're for not allowed sure. to do that either. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Then yeah, I would. I would incorporate a ton of body weight stuff, and and you're on the ergs a lot because you're building a ton of power. You're building a ton of fitness. Um, there's a lot of strength work in that, and and if you play around with the damper, like if you want to. If you really want to hurt, um, in terms of like strength hurt, put it on a 10. I never recommend putting your damper on a 10 for anything, but if you don't have access to dumbbells or, or barbells, like put it up there, not for every workout, but it'll do some, it'll do some damage in your workout for sure.
1: I like that. What if they gave you a sandbag?
2: Um, just for reference, I never, never put my damper on a 10. If they give you a sandbag. Yeah. You could do everything. You could do everything with the sandbag that you're doing that you would do with a barbell. Um, you can't get as fancy. You might not be able to go as heavy. Um, but you can, you can add more reps. You could change the time domain. You could do Tabatas, which are 20 seconds on 10 seconds off. So you're, um, usually there are eight cycles. So four minutes long, you're just going as hard as you can for 20 seconds, resting for 10 and so on. So just kind of playing with the different intensities and time domains and, you can get a lot done um, with all that stuff. It's just, barbells are fun.
1: <laughs> a lot of people listening would argue with you on that, but those are probably our running lenient folks. <laughs> running leaning folks. I have, a, I have a couple of specifics I want to...
2: Running is awful fun.
1: I have a couple listeners that I but disagree with you on that as well that probably run every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> so love-hate. As long as there's a little more love than hate. Uh, question for you. Watching this uh race in Vienna with Bracken on the couch in our Man weekend. First of all, they did a great job with the coverage. Very impressed. Commentating, coverage, the, the picture quality, everything was fantastic. Um they started mentioning more in the guys' race about like jet lag and the travel and all of that and sort of making excuses for like Rich Ryan and Ryan Kent. Like, yeah, they had to come over and it and Meg even they said when they were watching her, like, "Ah, she's not sticking to Lauren or whatever it was. I think a couple comments were made and I've experienced it myself. Um, And, but it was brought up more in the commentary than I'm used to hearing, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but long winded way of saying what, what like it clearly didn't affect you or you had a plan or there's, is there some sort of philosophy you try to adhere to? Because right away with the American athletes, it was like, oh yeah, they had to travel overseas. They're probably just not feeling their best because of that. But I didn't hear that said about Lauren Weeks. Tell me about that.
2: There are I think things that you can do to like set yourself up. Well, but in the end I think the biggest thing is mindset and I just
1: choose to not care. Let's explore that further. I like that. What what does that mean? What does that mean not care?
3: Uh it it's
2: it, it, I mean, it's just it is what it is like you're you're traveling. There's no way to get over there without it being a red eye, at least not where I am. Um, It's that that's how you're going to get there. If you want to race, you have to deal with it and and move on. Um, So I just I just don't let it be a thing. So I think beyond all the little things of trying to make sure you're sleeping as much as possible, making sure you're Getting food in, and um, it it's just mindset. I, mm. I in my opinion, that's what's worked best for me. Is just if if the day doesn't go the way I want it to, it's not because of, of travel.
0: I Said this on Race Brain yesterday, so I don't want to be redundant. But I firmly believe parents have an advantage with international travel, simply because at some point you decide with a child, sleep just sucks tonight, and that's what it is. I don't think it's a superpower. I just think it's a, a tolerance level to understand. I got through that day with really, really bad sleep. And a lot of athletes, to their benefit, really control their schedules well. And tiny humans have a way of destroying that gleefully. And you stop being so beholden to a schedule. So I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it seems like watching parents travel well. Even if they don't travel well, they handle. The badness. Well, like, is Lily part of your 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 podium this weekend?
2: I mean, I'd love to say yes, but but you're right. It, they, you you have no idea what's going to happen on any day or any night or what they're going to say or if they're going to fall or what's bothering them or they're just really sad that day or they
3: mm-hmm.
2: any sort of t- like you, you're right. It's just you have to kind of take it as it is. Um, we we are really lucky right now in that she is sleeping really well. Um, but we have also had the experience of very terrible sleep for a significant amount of time. So I have experienced that. And so it's nothing new.
0: Well, I don't want to overblow it either. There might be some people like, oh, we get it, you're a dad. It's not about me. The dads have it easier. Trust me on that. But you've done quality workouts and races where you needed to sleep and it didn't matter because you were nursing. Like your baby doesn't care if you went lacti- lactic that day or if you did had a long run or if you did heavy singles. Like if they're going to vomit, they're going to vomit and you're going to clean it up. So I just that the un- Expected disruptions in the schedule only serve you to get better at dealing with unexpected disruptions. Because every international flight goes different. Rich and I were just talking about it yesterday. One time it goes great, and the next time you can't sleep. One time you think you're great at sleeping overseas, and the next time you're staring there at the ceiling, not understanding why.
2: Or even just like some personal interactions on traveling. So I had a really hard time getting through security on the way over, which was super stressful. Um, but sometimes it's, so, it's very smooth and it's not a problem. And I get there and like no hiccups. I didn't think I was not going to be allowed on the plane. Um, what happened? It, I, I like to travel with a lot of my own food and that, um, mm. caused mm. The security to go through my bag for over 40 minutes before they let me through to, to
1: get to the plane. I find that very comforting when it's not happening to me. I like like hearing those stories when it's not me. Like, okay, they got her back, but when it's me, oh, they better watch out. That's unacceptable. Um, yeah, it was wild. They went they they would go
2: through my stuff and the same things three to five times over. And I was like, I don't I don't know what you're looking for that you didn't find the first time, but mm. I look like I'm about to cause trouble. I guess.
1: <laughs> I had a trip over the Canadian border once. Um, road tripping and it was uh leave after work sort of thing. So it was in the middle of the night and uh, me and my buddy bought powdered donuts um, on the way. And it was a week and a half camping trip. We had the canoe on top. It was packed like a Tetris, like Mich- like the truck was perfect. And for whatever reason, cause we were driving through the night, our eyes must've been bloodshot or something. They asked us to get out of the car and we did, we weren't like doing anything wrong. And they found white powder on our seats and so we got, like, detained for, like, seven hours while they picked apart every little thing in our truck that was so perfectly packed. It reminds me of that, but, like, and again, I wasn't happy that happened to me, but can you imagine? It was powdered <laughs> sugar. It was powdered sugar. They they had to rip apart my car because they thought we were smuggling cocaine into Canada. It reminds me of that. Terrible.
2: There was no way to convince them to taste that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I don't think I don't think so. No, I I don't think we even tried that one. But <laughs> all right, <laughs> Lisa uh, and I, Kirk. Okay. Oh, we got a story. All right. When
0: when Braden was six months old, yeah. When well, Braden, Braden was a little older. He would have been a probably right around twenty months, I guess, right around where Lily was. He was obsessed with chocolate milk. And at the Spartan Race World Championships, uh, they'd hit a short course that year, and the one of the podium benefits of that was a full case of. Do you remember? Was it called Zika? Zico? It was that coconut milk that Spartan used to be sponsored by, but they had chocolate flavored. No one wanted it. And so we took it because Braden was obsessed with it. And we got to this little podunk airport. I forgot what it would have been outside of Killington and they stopped us and they had to, we were random. They had to swab it and it came back for trace elements of explosives on it. Like it must have been on a pallet in Spartan's truck for like <laughs> a year. And they had to take every single one out. We had like 72 bottles <laughs> of this chocolate cup. and And eventually we're close to missing the flight. And Lisa's now, what, eight months pregnant again and is sitting there sweating and crying with an angry kid. And we're like, at this point, just take it. We don't want it anymore. Like, no, you will sit right there. And if it goes any farther, you are not leaving the airport. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Chocolate milk.
2: I have had things pop up, come back, and like, called for explosive as well and and some of them have been spartan related and from what i've learned it might have something to do with like the potential manure and stuff that we're going through um (laughs) also sets off like an explosive alarm when you're going through the airport
0: that's not comforting though (laughs) that they're transporting food and beverage in their manure trucks
1: there, yeah. there is some sort of sediment, I believe, like it, like organic matter, and it might not be feces, but like some of the stuff in certain regions of the, I've heard <laughs> this before, of the country, like it gets on your shoes and it's in your socks and it's literally like you might as well call it sand or dirt, but it it checks the right box mm-hmm. for them. I know I've heard that happening, so let's let's pretend it's dirt and not poop. I have a question still about your. Uh, <laughs> your I have a question still about your uh, jet lag. We'll call it i um, really watching a lot of track and field and there's all these international meets happening and some of them run a pretty vigorous schedule, right? They're all over the place and keeps coming up about jet lag. And I think most of the pros are like, yeah, you just have to ignore it or you have to get there early or whatever it is. But I'm actually very fascinated in like the story, like, like Lauren Weeks itinerary in Vienna. Like, I, maybe this sounds boring to you, but it's fascinating to me. Like when you say, I just don't let it bother me. Well, I can't really wrap my head around the objectivity of that because it feels subjective to me. So, like objectively, when does Lauren Weeks leave her home when like can you just walk- I just wanna know what like what athletes probably don't even know what to expect like what does that mean like don't let it bother you, so walk me through your itinerary what you did leading up to the race
2: um, uh, i'm gonna s i'm gonna start with after, just to say that jet lag affects me more after than it does. Like this week has been really hard. Like I am so tired um, than it does like in the beginning and leading up to the race. But I left on Tuesday afternoon um, and I landed Wednesday afternoon in Vienna. Um, So when I got there, gosh, it was uh, maybe around 2 or 3 p.m. Wednesday. I checked into the hotel. Um, I laid down and fell asleep for a while. When I got up, I went to the gym. I ran for a little bit. Um, I did some bodybuilding stuff. I did a little workout. I also got on the elliptical. I'm not good at tapering. FYI. (laughs) Um, And then I went to the grocery store, got anything that I didn't already bring with me. And I went back to the hotel. Um, I had dinner. I talked to my family because now it's like the time difference is enough that I can FaceTime with them and see them and and then after that, like I tried to go to sleep. I would lay down. I can't guarantee I slept very much, but to me, laying down being horizontal is better than than nothing and just sitting there and worrying that I'm not sleeping. So how much sleep I actually got, I'm not sure. Um I didn't get out of bed until super late probably in the in the morning um maybe 11 the next day on thursday same thing like did like a normal morning routine that i would us uh, here. had coffee at breakfast um went back into the gym did another uh kind of flush workout no bodybuilding that day probably would have been okay if i did it's if I had done a little bit, but no bodybuilding. By
1: bodybuilding, do you just mean structured lifting? Like you went there and just used your muscles. You grabbed some dumbbells and like did shoulder press, or you did like just simple stuff. Is that what you're talking about?
2: No, they had they had they had machines. Yeah, simple stuff. But they had they had actual machines that I could use, mm. which was nice. So they had like lat pull downs and like abductor adductor, um, some hamstring stuff. Uh, nothing, nothing heavy. Nothing, nothing.
1: Like you getting close to failure, you just using them to remind them they work.
2: Yeah, no, 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 nowhere near failure. Just getting reps in, getting movement in, um, flushing out any sort of like inflammation I might have gotten on the plane. Um, I like to go through just range of motion. So I might do some lunges, but they're not going to be fast. It's just reminding my body how to do it. Um, And it's not very high rep at all. Let's see, we're on Thursday. So same thing like I don't, I don't i didn't do too much i i did see a little bit of vienna i didn't see too a ton of it they have like this really awesome park area with super long straight flat um road and paths next to it and i saw more runners and more run clubs in the uh, sh- like short period of, like hour period of time than i have ever seen in my entire life it was wild um so that was really cool and like really nothing exciting like I came back I ate more I try and go to sleep when it's nighttime um usually I don't actually fall asleep until the morning and then I just let myself take whatever rest I can since our race was so late in the evening um so I just laid in bed until probably noon that next day and and then I got up and, um, if I have a late race, I like to, I actually like to get movement in, in the morning, whether it's like a run or a bike or an elliptical. So I got up and I worked out a little bit on Friday morning and went back and ate some more, kind of talked with my family again and waited to be time to go to our meeting. So we had a meeting. It was only like an hour before the
0: race. Really crazy. I heard that. Like 20 minutes long too?
2: It was it was not yeah it wasn't it wasn't that long.
0: But an hour before the race it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I think I think it was an hour and a half before the race. And then we got to the venue an hour before the race after the meeting was over.
0: That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So what I'm hearing here kind of confirms a theory I have for athletes. And that is that traveling places with people is fantastic unless you're trying to compete. 100%. I don't think it's a a coincidence that a lot of the people who traveled with roommates didn't have as as good of a performance. I believe that your route you took there is much more difficult if you've got a friend with you because then it's too tempting to get out of bed when they're out.
2: Yeah, and and if you're a people pleaser, like for me if mm-hmm. if I were going with somebody, I want to make sure that they're they're seeing things and they're entertained and I'm not holding them back and and all the things that come along with that. So um, being able to go without guilt is really nice.
0: Yeah. There's something stressful about it's three in the morning and I'd like to just go have half of a sandwich, drink a little bit of water and lay back in bed. And maybe I bring the bag back in bed with me and maybe I don't, but like you can just do that with someone else there. You hold your back yourself back from doing the exact thing you need to do to be prepared the next day. And I think it's, it's such a cost savings to travel with a friend or a training partner or a competitor. But the bigger the trip, I think the more it could be beneficial not to have anyone with you outside of maybe a spouse.
2: That's actually a really good point that you said, getting up and eating something in the middle. Um, because our schedules are all, are all over the place, I think I do that every time. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm starving, so I'm eating something at 2 or 3 a.m. because... It's the time that my body's hungry and and I don't, I don't say, Oh, it's nighttime. I'm not going to eat. Like I usually will eat
0: if, if I wake up hungry yeah. and then just
2: go back to bed with a nice full stomach.
0: It changes the dynamic of the trip. But like Kirk said, early in you, it's a business trip. Yeah, A lot of people who race a lot, I feel like to make it affordable,
1: they do these big, you know, athlete houses and anybody who's asked me to stay with them in the past seven years knows I tell them no every time for that very reason. Oh, I already have a hotel. I don't have a hotel yet, but I know I'm not staying with seven other idiots that are going to mess with my schedule and what I need. Like, I could not agree more. And a lot of times people show up flat for that very reason, right? Like,
0: uh, they're off schedule. So I I agree with that as well. Kirk, we had separate rooms in Uh the same hotel at the last race we traveled to together. Because of me. Because I said, let's have separate hotel rooms, right? Yeah, and it made me breathe a sigh of relief that I didn't have to be rude to you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, because you would have you denied me as well? Yeah. And so I, I was rested and I went out there and I DNF'd. <laughs> <laughs> like a good boy Confidently does. and with <laughs> vigor. What, is, there, is there, I guess, the other question, and then
1: we don't have to dwell on it anymore, but um, I feel like I get asked this question a lot. Like, why why did you leave when you left? Is it Do you feel like it's better to go three days in advance or whatever it was? Like, why Tuesday slash Wednesday? Is there rhyme or reason to that? Or did that just... Like you could have flown in Friday, for all it mattered.
2: Uh, well, the race is on Friday. That would have been really tough.
1: I meant Thursday. I do.
2: I do feel swollen. When I, oh, okay, I feel swollen when I fly, and it usually takes a day or two to get out. So, um, even short flights, honestly, um, I, I just whatever it is, my body does not does not like being in the air. So, being there a day or two ahead of time just allows me to get some of that inflammation out. Um, and I don't want to go any earlier than that because my family's not with me. So I'm, uh, I think, I think ideally you're getting there over a week ahead of time. I think that can like set you up for, for your best opportunity to have a good performance. Um, that's just not going to happen. I'm just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. If, if there's, there's benefits and the benefits to it are not worth enough to me to leave that early and be gone from them for so long.
0: What would the prize be? What would that, what's your price? If they kept raising the prize pot up high enough, what's your, I will get there 10 days early. What's your bare minimum?
2: Um, well, at that point, I'm just going to fly them. They're going to stay in another hotel room next to me.
3: It's <laughs> <That's> a good <laughs> answer. Because
2: <laughs> hopefully if the prize is like that high, then you'd think like at least all the way down to fifth is also pretty high. So like, depending on how you do, you're okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a bunch of one-off questions I want to ask you that don't really flow. And I don't know if now's the time to start that or if... There's some sort of flow that you want to obtain bracken. No, we don't rapid fire very often.
0: So let's do that. This is exciting for me.
1: Well, I'm not considering this rapid fire. They're just like random,
0: you know, questions I have for you. Okay. That's a lot of pressure. Well, by pace comparison of usually one question, six tangents, next <laughs> random, this is rapid.
1: <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen here. All right. What's the relationship like between you and Meg Jacoby?
2: Oh, uh, so we I say good. We got to share a room together. You talk about not sharing rooms for traveling, but um <laughs> we got to spend like a really good amount of time actually for one of the events that we did over the summer. Um we stayed at the person it was for Rally in the Valley. We were staying at the person who was hosting the event's house. Um and there were there were four of us, so it was me, um Meg, a girl named Shannon and Corinna Coffin, were all in the house together. And um Corinna and Shannon had already been given like two rooms that like were were of their own room. So the, the room that was left was uh Meg and I shared. So we had, which was really nice, like a lot of time to actually get to know each other beyond just seeing one another for an hour or two every couple of months.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's just, I think you just have some, it's a different level of respect when you see somebody that can perform as well as she does and then also juggle the thousand of other things that she has going on. I have absolutely no idea how she does it.
1: So there's some respect there, is what I'm hearing. Yeah,
2: 100%.
1: And if she lived closer,
2: it would be really nice to train with her. <laughs>
1: Well, you wonder, right, because you saw uh, who was the woman? She had a poor race and was being comforted at the end. Um, Camilla? Camilla. Camilla. Uh, You you see like a lot of support out there. And then you guys are out there yelling at the girls as they're finishing their wall balls. And and I felt like the same thing was in like when Spartan had its heyday. And I'm going to say had because I think it's over for them. But you'd see the women loving each other afterwards as well. And so there's like a love fest, so to speak, and only support and no snide comments and any of that. On the men's field, once in a while, you'll see them jaw at each other, right? Some things get blown out of proportion. That's still a love fest, but...
2: Sometimes somebody throws a fuck
1: Somebody yeah. do, yeah. Well, Just that, that guy's done a lot of things he should probably take back in his life. But um, is it like that? Is it as it appears, that supportive and friendly? Yeah. Um, it's It's very special i'd say
2: people um there's there's all these different like conversation chains through instagram or whatsapp and and you do get to see people in in person but there's just so much more behind the scenes of being able to like chat and get to know your competitors and um and some of them you've known for a really long time so like for friday night for me um i've been racing with Viola for probably almost five years now. Um, And, and I, and I know she's had like a rough go of injuries and she like got hit by a car on her bike this past week. And, and she's just been like really trying to vie for one of these, these world championship spots. And it's, and it's just been tough. And, and uh, she gritted through and she pulled it out. um, I think when a lot of people weren't expecting her to do it. So, Like, yes, I'm always super excited and super, super proud for people. But for example, for that one, like I was just so beyond pumped that she was able to cross the line and, and not have to worry about it anymore. Like she has one of the spots that she's been working for
1: this whole year. I have more follow-up questions, but Bracken, do you want to wedge any questions in here? So I got a whole chamber.
0: No, you go. And then I'm going to talk the last half hour.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, going back to the girls, I guess, um, and all of that. Uh I guess and also tying in with um your like going out there before the race or whatever. Are you like lone wolf in it? Like the whole time? Like for me, like what you described sounds incredibly boring. Like you had like a boring three days. It was like the longest, slowest three days of your life before yeah. the race.
2: So boring.
1: Okay. Yeah. You're-
2: yes. And you're a zombie because you don't you don't know.
1: Yeah. You're not getting together with the girls for like a glass of wine and da da. You're just chilling straight up
2: for this one yeah i didn't get to i didn't i didn't go out at all um there have been ones where I, uh probably even much earlier on where i have gone out and like sometimes when they're when they're more production made so the the one that we had done in hamburg in like 2020 was was very intimate and more of a production so they took us out for lunch for dinner throughout the day they made us do photo shoots and and all this thing and um even then I wasn't drinking anything, but I did see like one competitor that I'm sure you could guess that bound a whole bottle of wine to himself and I have no idea how he performs as well as he does doing that.
0: Rylan, I can't get over it.
2: No, not Rylan. Did I say Rylan? I know I'm joking. Oh. Oh. I'm
3: joking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was like, oh my god, not Rylan. No, no, no. This was this was like back in twenty twenty, but um because they only took six men and six women. Like they took us out for practically every meal mm-hmm. it It depends on on the race and where it is, but when I'm going that far, I'm too tired to do anything with anybody like i am mm-hmm. I'm just exhausted. Somebody had asked, i think like one of the girls had asked me if I wanted to before we'd even left if I wanted to get together and get dinner on on Wednesday night I was I was like aren't you also flying in on Wednesday this is I think her first international travel I was like I'm not going to be able to like I'm going to be so tired I'm not going to be able to do anything Wednesday for sure like let's talk about Thursday
1: So then is the first time you felt good like truly felt good like out on the race course when you travel like expectations these aren't part of my questions I'm just curious like expectations are low like I don't know what I'm going to get but the first time I might feel good is actually when the gun goes off is that what you experience
2: yeah, I, um, I even, even not for an international race, I don't, I don't usually know how I'm going to feel during it until it starts. Um, warm ups are so deceiving. Sometimes I can feel good, sometimes I don't feel good. And then it has like no relevance to how I feel during the race. Um, so yeah, it's a surprise every time.
0: <laughs> so I know it's Kirk's time, but you're talking about warm ups, you're talking about the race. No,
1: It's not my time. This, It's our time.
0: You looked like you enacted a different race strategy by one full station this past weekend. Was that on purpose or did the race just come to you that way where you didn't lead out? Now, obviously, someone else got aggressive on their run initially, but you came off the ski and looked like got to work. Was that that how it actually was and was that intentional?
2: Yeah. So I... Definitely like to at least push that first 1k because I, I feel like I don't feel as much during the first run. Um, I'd say that we, we didn't go quite as hard. It would still be, it was still significantly faster than the rest of our, than the rest of our runs, but, um, maybe not like a full out sprint. Um, and I, but then I noticed that like almost the whole field was going that pace and I, and I don't, I don't feel like that normally happens. Um, so I don't know if kind of taking just like a little bit step off made it so that we like the whole group stayed more to more as a pack. Um, and I always try and remind myself to not go crazy on the ski because I it like it'll mess you up. But I get so wrapped up in it the mm-hmm. majority of the time. It's hard to to not. Um so I was able to control myself this time and not like destroy myself on the ski but and I've had a, a couple races over the years that I've been able to do that but it's um it's definitely a lesson in patience.
0: And was that everything then? That was the that was the big game changer or was this going to happen regardless of strategy how it just seemed to sequentially bill like everything i don't we don't know how you feel ever and that's one of the hard parts about watching a competition is body language and facial expression makes us assume things that may not be going on but you looked like you just clicked off from station to station and they kind of threw you out of rhythm on burpee brow jumps and it didn't matter you just nailed everything all the way through was that just the fitness you have or was that also in conjunction with just that slight slight reduction on ski well
2: so the slight reduction definitely helps to feel better for if nothing else the next two runs on station mm-hmm. um whether or not that carries over the rest of the race i think is still to be seen but at least for that much um but i also did feel like i came in with more fitness for this race than i had um and but i i'm not somebody that can carry like my my peak fitness the whole year so um i don't i there was there is no way for me to be able to like build up for as long as the, se- I know it's short in comparison to a Spartan season, but it's still a long season. I can't build up and drop down that many times over that length of a time in a
3: year.
0: So if you had to say that your mountaintop is worlds where you want to be as fit as possible and your off season is your least not that you I don't think get least fit, but like least race fit. Where would you be sitting right now? Like what is what is fifty eight, what, oh three? Where does that sit on your your fitness scale right now to where you need to be in Nice?
2: I mean, I'm a, I'm going like to probably have to take some time to figure that out because that's more fit than I had anticipated being able to get to by the time of Nice.
0: Okay. So if we take the time away, the way you felt and progressed in training, where would you say you were prior to the race starting?
2: I feel like I'm pretty close to like top fitness right now. But again, okay. I can't I can't hold that. So I'm gonna have to come back down and then try and build back up. But um ideally after a come down and then a and then a ramp back up, I'll be able to continue pushing past. Um whether or not I can, I guess we'll have to wait like till June to find out. Um but ideally
0: that's the goal. Um you seem calm about that concept.
2: Yeah, I mean it is, what, it is what it is. Like I'll I'll do what's in my control to get into my best fitness possible and and if something derails me, it's okay.
0: Life goes on. All right. So this is my last thing I think, but what you said sparked this. And that is I find it the concept of peaking, so to speak, for high rocks very very fascinating because there are many uh, things that I'll have to peak and it's i i believe it's very 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 difficult with the rare number of reps we get to actually race to figure out how you peak for this so how are you driving fitness up feeling like this is as high as i can get currently roughly before i have to back off like it's not track where you cut volume increase your intensity run a couple really spicy sessions with a long rest like i guess you could do that on a bunch of different modalities and say, I believe it still holds true, but without giving away you the the secrets that you and Anthony are cultivating here, what's your theory behind spiking your fitness and having it call, co- like uh, align nicely with fatigue and recovery and all of that for a high rocks peak.
2: Um, based off of like my personal strengths and weaknesses and the things that I need to work on, mm-hmm. um, it is exactly i would i would say how you would do it for like a a running race because i feel very very confident in my fitness outside of running in terms of like i'm not trying to necessarily build too too much off of that i think um so it is like the the peaking and the coming down from just just running
0: so you modulate your running and you just keep your for lack of better terms, station work in a place where you know, it's always good.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, as I had said, like earlier, earlier in the episode, like I really don't do specific work more than twice a week, but mm-hmm. that doesn't change throughout the whole year. So um, I just make sure that I'm touching on it and doing it. And I make sure that like I'm doing core work, I make sure that I'm I have all these accessory lifts. I make sure I'm working posterior chain. Um we will like maybe do some stabilizers. I still I strength train every day. Um I don't like to do like a ton of lifts in one day and then not lift the next day. I like to have less lifts per day, but more consistently. Okay. Um did that answer your question?
0: It does. And it also it also answers a little bit of your racing, I think, or at least gives a little bit of clarity on it. Because I think one of the pieces a lot of people, I can't say get wrong because the sport's too young and we don't know how they're doing their work. But it's hard to, to get your cardio to a high point and your stations to a high point if you don't have... A background high point that you already start at if that makes sense like peaking multiple places you don't want to do you want something like yourself or like Meg, where you have a background that stays so high you don't have to worry about peaking it and you can just focus on little pieces but i think the people who get it right understand how to arrive at race day with a sense of intensity and because you can race intense up front the way that you're peaking your running makes sense with how you're able to run off the front. and i think you would run off the front that way either way probably that's probably in your genetic code. but the fact that it's sustainable to you does make sense if you're peaking a little bit differently with your running than some other people are peaking.
2: yeah, i think once you try and, and figure out how to peak all these different things like it's it's too much to manage. it's there's it'll be too easy to to probably mess something up. Um, I would pick what you think you need to be peaking for and focus on that.
1: Hmm, That makes sense. I missed the question you asked initially, Bracken, because I was charging my laptop. So I I don't know where this is going to interject into that,
0: but... I thought you were killing a spider.
1: (laughs) I was not. Well, I switched over to the laptop for audio purposes, but this battery life when we're doing this has got to be plugged in, I'm realizing. Because I'm already out. It was full battery when we started. We're an hour 18 in and it's almost dead. Um... For those that do high rocks or those that don't, I don't think it matters. But I think one thing that people have a hard time understanding that aren't in high rocks is what a blow up means or what the difference between a good and a bad performance is. Um, It's hard to gauge, right? And it's kind of like when you tip over, you tip over, right? And seconds maybe become minutes. In a mile, let's say a 430 miler has an average day and it's 430. A great day may be 4.27 and a bad day may be 4.33. It's like a six-second window there, right? Help the listener understand, what is the difference between a good and a bad day when you're out there in high rocks, both in feel, in time? Like, what could that look like?
2: Uh, For me, a bad day is giving up and not Mm. putting in, like, a full effort. Uh, I have, on many occasions, blown up. Like, that. It's just in the nature of the way I race. Um, if I'm going to go out as, as hard as I do, like I'm risking a blow up and, and I've done it many, many times. Um, but I don't think those are bad races. Um, I chose to take a risk and, and maybe it didn't pay off the way I wanted to, but if I finish the race and I fight through it, that's not a bad race to me. Um, If I decide to call it and just kind of like walk my way in, that would be a bad race. Um, But I don't think I've ever done that. So um, I don't, I, I will, in my opinion, I don't think I've ever had a bad race in High Rocks because I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever just given up and, and let it
0: go. It is almost unheard of to ask an athlete what a good and bad race looks like. When especially if you've been led into the question with time constraints on the previous example and not hear a single minute or second or tenth be mentioned, and it probably speaks to how unique you are in your mindset towards competing. but the fact that you didn't say a single metric in how you would dictate good versus bad, I think is very, very unique
2: i um, i that didn't even honestly come to. To mind
0: right that's what i'm saying you're not faking it that's just mm. very clearly your mentality, <laughs> and also the reason why you can get done with that question and say i don't think I've ever had a bad race <laughs> no one no one no one that we've ever talked to would say that, and yet that's clearly the healthiest standpoint you can have like that's the that's the healthiest outlook you can have on racing is i've never had one because i tried i tried really hard
2: at least i mean i'm trying to wrap like think of other, no, other I'm not sports. trying to talk
0: you into <laughs> it. I'm not trying to talk you into it. It's just so unique in, in a sport that is entirely based around time and whether high rock should or shouldn't be is its own conversation. But we are a metric based sport running and you didn't care about metrics when answering what's a good versus bad race. And that is insanely unique.
2: Um, I hope to never give up in a race, but like if that happens, that's what I will consider a bad race.
0: Hmm.
1: So why do people have bad races then? Um, Is that the reason? I mean, you see some people, especially in this sport, uh, it's like throwing darts at the wall with your eyes closed sometimes, right? Do you think it is? And and this has happened across the board. So I'm not talking about anybody in particular. Is it, do you think it's like some people just don't have it someday and some do? Or do you believe that's a fallacy? Do you believe that you're going to be within a percentage of your ability, no matter what?
2: But that's perspective. Like that's, that's now us telling them that they had a bad race. Like who's, do they think that they had a bad race? Um, like maybe, maybe they don't maybe. So I think it, it it's definitely going to depend on, on the person. Um, I've, I've definitely heard in, in like the media through, through our world of maybe people thinking some of my races were not good races, but I would disagree. Like, I still don't like that's somebody else thinking that my race was not a good race. Um, So that's that that's what I have to say, I guess, about about these other people and and whether or not they had a good race or bad race, because I don't I don't know if they had a bad race until I talk to them.
0: Mm. How called out do you feel right now, Kirk? Not at all. Sorry. No, not at all. Oh, I certainly do. Oh, you do.
1: Uh,
0: Oh, I don't feel called out at all. Yeah, all we do on Race Brain is is talk is talk that nonsense, right? That's that's all that happens.
2: Yeah, but people tune in to hear that, and it's <laughs> and it's okay.
0: I'm not defending. I'm not complaining. I'm not accusing. It's just a fantastic reminder that nobody knows anything at the end of the day. It is pure speculation, and we are in this weird world where no one's actually media or athlete, or coach, it's all a mix of everything. And we're all kind of on the same team and should be and maybe a slight backup in the in the critique is needed. That's all I'm saying.
2: It's harder in this space, because we're such a small and like niche sport that like everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. So it is harder to talk about somebody and be objective because like we know everyone. So like how it's, you know that what you say might affect somebody so it's just it is a lot
1: harder to be objective it's also a good point it's just you see some discrepancy like um well like let's use david for an example like he pops and wins the north american championship of course his back's an issue and there's other things that are facts right not excuses and i believe that but it's like you'll see these big disparities that you don't see in the you know a time-based world like track and field or road racing. Like it's just an interesting, like a good and a bad day are very subjective. You're right. But you still see that I think throughout it's just like noteworthy. So that's why I say when what's the difference between a good day and a bad day, like somebody wins the North American champs and then goes and, you know, takes 12th place in their next race. And it's like, well, that seems like a discrepancy to me. Right. But and I'm just from the outside looking in. So I didn't know if you had any extra thoughts on it. Obviously, we got your take, and it's a great take. I just That's why I bring it up.
2: <laughs> that's why the men's race is like so exciting, though, because you don't know. You do not know who is going to be 1 through 5, who's going to be 10 through 15, who's going to be in that. Like The person who takes 15th might the next race win it. Like, you... Mm-hmm.
1: When you won your first one, right? You weren't you weren't on the Chris Roglowski hasn't finished in the top five in a race recently that I can remember. She's a world champion. So you see it on the women's side as well. Where isn't your first win kind of supposedly left field, right? At the time? Yeah. I I think like was that like the 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 small one, the one where we had like six people. You're getting your world champs wins mixed up. Is that the problem here? He's got you don't know which one which one it is.
2: <laughs> I just wasn't sure if you were talking about like a world championship race or like a race in general. Like my first Syrox. Racking was at the first one that I went to.
0: That was your first one?
2: Which one? Miami.
0: Oh Miami. Miami. Oh, that's right. I didn't even know you in Miami.
2: I didn't know anybody. I it was um it it it's a good reminder, like that race, to make sure that you go up and you like talk to all these people. Um, that are at the start line with you because you don't know how they're feeling. And I remember going and, and all you guys all knew each other. And I was just like this outsider, like mm. not in the cool kids club, watching people talk and laugh and nobody's talking to me.
0: That very much was an OCI reunion there. I think you're in the cool kids club now.
2: Well, hopefully we can at least just make less of a club and there's no right, club and there. be able to talk. But
1: how much energy suck would it be? Lauren, if you were the hype man, like we saw, um, oh my God, who won the men's race this last weekend? Ronkovic. Alex. Is that within you like a normal human to be like raising the roof and like fist bumping for eight K out there? Yeah. Is that, is that sort of performance in you someday to go and really be a hype woman? <laughs> Cause that's impressive in its own right.
3: I,
2: I, I mean, I love seeing it. Um, he was like, he was so proud and it was like, it was really cool to watch. Like he was genuinely just so proud of himself. Um, would I be able to do that? I don't think so. I mean, I can't say no because I've never been in that situation, but I don't think so. I mean, that is it'd be really hard.
0: <laughs> it's so non-compatible with how I, have experienced races that I can't fathom it, but it was also one of the coolest things to see like an actual athlete and their city on a high rocks course together. I've never witnessed anything like that. And that was through a screen. I bet there it was 10 times as loud and awesome to see the crowds chasing him.
2: They were so excited for him and, and he was all for it. Um, and it was, it was nice in that he really didn't have a ton of competition that day. So he could embrace and like explore that side of him. I think if he were in a tight battle with somebody, it would be a lot harder to have done he, all that. He
1: still was. He's talking like the third run after like whatever. And Sandy's still right there. And he's he's still fist bumping and waving like that race had just begun. He was, that's a commitment to success right there. I enjoyed watching it. Um, I got a serious question for you what motivates you? Why are you doing all this? What's, what's, what is your motivation? And it can be as simple or as, as detailed as you want to get to, but I'm very curious.
2: Um, I think those are two different questions. Why do I do it? Um, I didn't even, I didn't start this to be trying to go to like all these different types of competitions. I, I started it and I, and I was doing it because I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed movement. I enjoyed the fact that there was this new thing that combined two parts of my life that I absolutely love. And now I can share that and, and do it with other people and, and try and see how much better we can get. Um, so I, I do it because I want to do it. Like I enjoy it, um, because it allows me to set goals while still training the way I would want to on an everyday life. Um, and then like motivation, it's it's just cool to see progress. Like it's it's cool to to learn new things and um, be open minded to different training strategies and and test them out and try them and see what works and and what doesn't and 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 learn. Like for example, like with these these lactate tests and threshold things, like doing them, like my my whole my let like, everything is new i get to I get to see that there are things in athletic science that can like make a really big difference and then a very short period of time so like it's just like motivating to know that things like that are out there and you can test and play around with them.
1: i always i think of the question with athletes, including myself, like when it's all said and done, like when do you consider your in quotes career a success? Like what, you know, when the dust settles, what, what, how would you quantify that right now? Can you take a stab at it?
2: Um, I don't think I'm chasing success. Um, I feel that I have gotten more success in sport than I would have ever imagined or dreamed I would, I would do. Um, so that's not, I don't, I don't feel like I am chasing success cause I, I feel like I've gotten I've gotten more than, than I, than I thought I could. Um, maybe the only ex- exception is like childhood dream. Like I always wanted to be a professional soccer player. So if, you know, I could touch up my ball skills and get on a soccer team, that would be a new success. But, um, beyond that, no, I'm, I'm very happy with like what I've already been able to do in in my
1: athletic life. Were you ever chasing anything or has this all been by proxy of enjoyment?
2: I definitely was chasing, um, like CrossFit goals as well. Um, I tried like to get as far as you can, which is to the games, um, for quite a few years. Uh, but I could just, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's many reasons why it didn't happen, but like a big one is I was never strong enough. Um, I would like make it to whatever their stages right before the games. Um, and that's when they'd bring out like the super heavy things and i would just get squashed every time um and these were on like big stages like i don't i don't know how many people have seen like what they televised for like crossfit regionals and stuff but i have been like very humbled and very embarrassed in front of thousands of people live and then also however many people are like
1: watching via the, uh, the streaming that they're doing
0: there's something about those experiences.
1: People don't don't think about those when you think of the path to success, being embarrassed along the way and all of that. You do not weren't always at the top, I suppose. Do you think if you petitioned like Hunter petitioned back in the day, you know, you really sold yourself, would you have been one of those uh exceptions in or what do they call that? Do they still do that? I don't remember what that is. Wild cards. Wild card? Were you in that position?
2: Hunter is an anomaly. No, he is an anomaly in every sense of the word of, of his whole life. And, and it's, I love watching it. He He's the only person like, I'm still a diehard CrossFit fan. He is the only person in the extent of the CrossFit lifetime that has been given a wild card. The only one that's never happened. It has never been given to anybody else. Just Hunter. Um, so, so no, I have not been, and will never be in that position. Um, mm-hmm. That is a uh, just a special thing for him. <laughs> I would have to, I would have to like earn my way in. Yeah, and not that he didn't, but I don't think they'll ever give a wild card again. I think that was just like a, let's see what Hunter can do. We want to see him at the game.
0: He is the most unique creature I've ever met in my life. Yes,
2: and I actually think he would have done really, really well um, if it weren't for like the initial events that he had to do before these major cuts.
0: Any other year? Really? Yeah.
2: I think he would have done really, really well, which like for him, it was this handstand stuff. And, and for me, like there was also like when I say being embarrassed, um, they had these handstand obstacle courses set up where we had to go up and over stairs and ramps. And, and, uh, and I just kept falling every time I was like trying to either get up or down the stairs. And, there'd be other girls that were just like flying back and forth on these obstacles. So I feel them. I
0: get it. Everyone's going to have that. There are very few people in this world that go undefeated for life and you're going to get knocked down bad. And I believe it is better to get it early than late. Getting it late means you get to the top level and you're famous and you're the undefeated prospect, but you never know what's going to happen when your whole identity is the undefeated prospect and then you get knocked flat on your butt and some people never recover from that. I think the only way for sustainability is to take your lumps early and often and have that create the person you become. When you become the late stage undefeated person or whatever you want to call that, not that you're late stage, but... I don't think the front half of your career is the time to go undefeated. I really don't believe that's good for any athlete.
2: No, and and you can pivot sports too, and you might have those those lumps again. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I plan to try other things as well, and I don't expect to be successful in the beginning, or maybe even ever. But I, I will. I'm gonna, like there's other things that I'm interested in trying. So, we'll
0: see. what is your biggest swing that you'll take? Like, not necessarily from a a con- conceptual place for you but to the outsider what would look like the biggest pivot that excites you what do you have on that list
2: there's like two separate directions so one like i would still love to try and be competitive in crossfit but it's it's very different than the training that i'm doing right now um and then on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, i would love to explore what i can do in the running world when i'm not doing all of this like extra, extra shrink training than what I'm currently doing right now. Like I would, I would still keep it in, but I'd love to explore.
0: What version of running or all versions? Are you talking like you want to qualify for Leadville or Western States or you want to run a 15 minute 5k? Like what, what version of running?
2: Uh, no Leadville for me. Okay. Praise you, Chris. Good for you. <laughs> no, no Leadville for me. Um, no, more in the distance of like half marathon, marathon, okay. um, things like that. Uh, and i and I don't have set times for that, yet, but distances and things i'd I'd like to explore.
1: I'm curious about your uh relationship with the sport, like big picture was it for a point of reference, like we talked to to bring her up again, Meg Jacoby, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm obsessed, and people say. Like why you're so all in and everything is high rocks and training. And she owned it. She's like, yeah, you have to be obsessed. You have, if you want to be the best, you need to make sacrifices and you need to go all in and you can't have no life. Right. And she's not saying she doesn't have a life. What she's saying is I'll sacrifice everything for this goal. That's basically what she said to us on her interview with her. And I respect that she owned it. What, what is your relationship? Cause obviously, uh, like she she left her her career right to to start a new one and there's a lot of big pivots there so obviously she there's some differences between you two just from like a macro level but um what what do you what about your relationship like where are you at with with that as a whole
2: um i think what she's doing is smart um i think that this sport is growing and will continue to grow and i think this will be like a really viable like place to grow and and to make a living on um for me, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be doing it, and not because I don't love it like i I absolutely love it, but um like we're we're, we're still like building a family um like we want to have more kids I can't guarantee that I'm gonna be able to still race at a high level after after having another child um and i like I just i I might say doing it for fun, I might move, move and pivot to something else. Um, but I can't I can't
1: go all in when
2: I know it's not my end goal.
1: Yeah. You don't have to answer, but are you are you like like you say you're working on a family and you know you still want more kids like that won't take a back burner to the world champs being ex-dates and like families first so to speak. Is what I'm gathering. Like you're not going to revolve your high rocks racing around conveniences is what i'm gathering
2: well um i mean so i'm on birth control right now and i'll stay on it through june but like i can't say anything past that
0: so we're not going to see a pregnant lauren at world championship this year again
2: (laughs) i mean you never know but it won't be eight
0: months pregnant this time
2: it won't be eight months pregnant yeah
0: Well, I mean, that was, again, most of your questions today are asked with us expecting something and we forget that we're going to get a Lauren response. And that's a very Lauren response. Yeah, I think I probably would be better if I went all in, but I'm not going to. And family matters more. And I'm going to keep perspective about this. Like, it's just a very level-headed, I don't want to say detached approach that you keep, but it's a, it's steady.
2: Um, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not young either. And I, and I don't want like a ton of space. Ideally, if I if I can control it and obviously like not everything is our control, like I don't want a ton of space in between mm-hmm. the kids either um, from we do research on everything. And and like from the research I've seen, like I wouldn't have tried to get pregnant before now anyway. Um, what I what I've read is it takes 18 months for your body to like heal To basically as much as possible, Um, and it's the recommended time if you can to wait before trying again. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have tried before before now anyway.
0: That's thorough.
1: I I just had really two, but probably just one real actual question. The other one we don't need to address. It's about food, and I just like to know what people eat and what the go tos are because everybody's fascinated with food and they think the like you said you travel with food and that you know struck my interest. Um, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna ask that one first. The last one's about workouts. Just real like, you know, your favorite workouts. What do you what, what do you travel with with food, I guess? Let's just ask it. What what are you packing along with you on your trips?
2: Um so lots of things. But rice is a big one. So like those like ready microwave rice things. Um mm-hmm. and somebody asked me that, like one of the media people while I was over there. Um and they were they made fun of it. Like, we don't have you don't think we have rice packets here. But I don't, I can't read German, like, I'm <laughs> I sure I'm getting plain rice, but I, I like to know what the ingredients are. Um, So I bring my own and, and maybe not enough for the whole time, but like enough in case I don't find something else that, that I'm comfortable with eating there. Um,
1: What kind of rice? What's the style? Oh, Basamati? Are you doing like
2: jasmine? Okay. Both, uh, oh, jasmine or basmati. Okay. Um... I also bring like Sour Patch Kids because I like to race with Sour Patch Kids. Give me a little sugar boost while I'm in the middle of running.
0: Huh. When do you take them? Because I give my standard reply to athletes I work with when I think the best time in a high rocks is to fuel. But we don't have a body of research. It's all anecdotal. So when do you, Lauren Weeks, eat your Sour Patch Kids?
2: <laughs> On the runs, it's easiest for me. And and uh, and. Whenever, whenever I can think about it, honestly, I'm not going to wait for after the burpees or whatever it is. Like I, I've, I've, I'm not taking a ton at one time, but just to have like one or two to be able to like suck on while I'm running and then wait for the next run. Just constant steady state of sugar.
0: How many do you pack?
2: Mm, I mean, I take like a handful. I don't, I don't like take I I don't count them out. So if I were to guess, it would be 10 to 20.
0: And where do you store them?
2: My sports bra.
0: Just free roaming?
2: Free roaming. <laughs> they have multicolored chests by the time it's over because they melt while you're
0: running. <laughs> you know I you can th- sew a little pocket on the front, right?
2: I could. Okay. But this works. I just... There's colors after. It's fine. They haven't given me a white sports bra yet. so we're off.
1: <laughs> How'd you land on Sour Patch, kids?
2: I I would like to take Swedish Fish, but they have that, like, coating on the outside. Um, so it's harder to just kind of like, just let it melt in your mouth. And I've, I've found that the sour patch kids are like thin enough and gummy enough that I don't have to chew really hard. And I can, and I can almost let it just like melt there while I'm running. No extra effort. And
1: they make you seem mature too.
0: It's a good fuel to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good so you have rice right? and sour patch kids. What else <laughs> did you struggle to get through security?
2: Um, like uh, protein bars, I like uh, those little, um, what are they called? They've got all different, like applesauce packets, but ones that have other things than just applesauce Mm -hmm. in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So Security really doesn't like that.
1: What kind of protein bars?
2: I love the Costco, like Kirkland brand protein bars. Like, they're candy to me. They're so good. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I love those.
0: Are those like the Elevate knockoffs?
2: I don't even know what Elevate is.
0: Doesn't matter then.
2: Doesn't matter. They're better no. than them. <laughs> um, I try and bring like the tuna or chicken packets so that if I don't have time when I land to go get food for that first night too, I have a protein source. Um, and then I bring cashews for make sure like I try and have like all the macros. In case when I, when I land, I don't have time or I'm too tired to, to go to the store. So like for me, cashews is an easy fat macro to bring.
1: That makes sense. I mean, you're probably bringing like five pounds of food with you or more, I would assume. 10 when it's all said and done. It's heavy. Do you pack anything, Bracken? I pack just a few things. I'll pack a rice packet like the Uncle Ben's. I'll have one just in case and then just snacks for the plane. I need to be more prepared.
0: Yeah, same thing, the baby food pouches, the applesauce-based fruit things. I don't do yogurt-based. I find I don't like that, especially when I travel. But if it's non-yogurt-based, that's what I bring. And generally, I freeze a dozen uh, Uncrustables and throw them in some tinfoil and put that in my backpack. And then the the uh the the ninety second microwave stuff. That's if I'm going someplace where I like, for example, Dubai, or that was my toughest one because I was going to land with no grocery stores open. I was going to get in at midnight, and I was going to want to eat for the next seven hours until something opened. So that one, it was it was the instant rice and things like that. But uncrustables baby food that gets me through.
2: And you might not use them, but it's just nice to have in case. The food that you find there is not something you're comfortable with before a race. I actually didn't end up using any of my rice packets.
1: Oh, you found it.
2: They didn't have a microwave. It was <laughs> really sad. So what did you do? I tried boiling water and cooking it that way. It didn't work. I got like bread and stuff. I went to the supermarket and got bread.
0: What I found is that for those two minute, three minute or under microwave styles, you put just a few teaspoons or t- a tablespoons of water in a pan. And you just keep it on like low and it warms it. Because it's cooked enough that they don't want to they don't like boiling while well. they turn mushy and bad, but that's the style.
2: Okay, try the next time. I'll just be more careful about when I'm booking a hotel, making sure
1: they have a microwave too. That would also be a solution. I just want to know if there's any workouts. The last question is any workouts that you feel like it could be wad based, it could be run-based. Anything that jumps out at you is like a really either like a staple or a real fitness mover for you, like you're like a workout or two that you have good juju towards anything jump out.
2: Nothing really um, jumps out. It is, I would say it is pretty varied. Um, I do like to combine like intervals of one k's with, of, of running with one k's of rowing one case of running one case of ski where it's just like just those modalities. Cause I find that when I combine it with other movements, like lunges or sled push, um, I'm not able to consistently move. There's like too much stoppage time. Um, so I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm building the fitness that I'm trying to build. So I like to, to do a lot more with, with just like the machines and just running. Um, and again, not every day, but I just like in terms of of things helping that helps me the most because I have to stop too
0: much
1: with all the other movements, yeah, you can just work, you just work,
0: yeah, Bracken, you got anything else oh, my my last thing is what is the single hardest part of the high rocks for you like is there a station that you get to that you don't know how your race is really going until you're done with that?
2: uh unfortunately, super early on, the sleds. Like I have no idea when I get to them if it's gonna be a good sled push day or not. Um, I, uh, it, it could, and it can, and it can really make a difference on your race. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is like the one that, like when I'm coming up to it, I'm just hoping that my legs have enough power to get me through the station the way I would like to get through it and be able to come out of the station without being wrecked for the next. 40 to 45 minutes.
0: And how do you like to get through it? Are you going to get through as quick as you can with however you're feeling, or do you want to get through a certain way, regardless of whether you're feeling good or bad?
2: Definitely changes based off of how I'm feeling and how I feel the sleds moving. Um, The majority of the time, I'm taking strategic breaks in terms of stopping before I feel too much lactic in my legs. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, I don't, every course, that happens at a different point. Um, so I, I can't go off of like I'm gonna go ten meters and then I'm gonna stop. i mm. uh, it it is definitely based off of feel while also still being strategic.
0: so I've spoken with a few people who are relatively successful in the sport who all have different feelings on how often and how you should work a sled. And since you seem to not touch things more than once or twice a week, what is your belief on how you personally improve and arrive best prepared for the sled that aren't the sled? Like, what is your sled prep?
2: That's a really good question. So nothing, nothing can replace the sled. I'm gonna start with that. Like you, you don't know what it feels like to push a sled without pushing a sled. You can mimic things with front squats and deadlifts, still not the same. Um, you can do plate pushes still not the same that's pretty close though i'd Mm -hmm. say um i haven't done this in a long time but like i used to go to a gym and we'd have boot camp classes and we would hook up straps and just hook them to a tire and we'd do tire drags so like it's a pretty cheap way to just go out onto the street and drag a tire around so you're under load the whole time and you're pulling things it's not a push though so you're working on the on the pull motion um I'm going to, I'm going to maintain that you can't replace the feeling of what it feels like to push a sled though. Like you, you can kind of work around it and of course you can finish the race, but you want to, you want to know what it feels like to push it. So I, I would make an effort, even if it's twice a month to make sure you're, you're remembering what it feels like to push one.
0: And how do you like to treat your sled in training? Do you come at it from a volume standpoint? Like I need to accrue a lot of meters and a lot of reps. Do you come in from, I'm going to overload and treat it like, uh, like an MSP lunge or like, I'm going to treat it like volume training of strength endurance, or this is pure power. I'm doing max weight for 10 meters and I'm resting two minutes in between. Like, what is your, your sled philosophy of how you spend your time?
2: I almost never overload the sled. I know that's like a big thing that people do. You,
0: There's a risk though.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I almost never overload it. I actually underload it for the most part and just go for like longer sustained pushes. Okay. Um, so the majority of my sled workouts, I only have 90 pounds on the sled.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. And so what's a rep duration for you?
2: 50 meters. So same, same length as the, as it would be for, for the race. It's just, it's lighter. So I don't have to stop. I can
0: just keep pushing, and that's interspersed with other activity or rest. Do it again.
2: No, no, it's usually interspersed with other activities like rowing or lunging or farmer carries or like those are. I don't currently really do any sled pushing at home. Um, So when when I'm doing a sled workout, it's at the gym, which is also part of the reason why I'm only doing it twice a week because the majority of the time I'm training is at home. So um, all of that is is for when I when I go to a gym. And I'm pushing a sled, and I'll combine it with other high movements so any anytime I'm doing a sled workout it's it's usually more specific station Hyrux
1: style, okay, I think we did it.
2: Was my audio better this time?
1: Yeah, yeah, audio was good didn't we didn't we get down to the Bluetooth headphones uh last time I think if I remember,
2: yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask ahead of time to make sure.
0: well, two very different conversations last time was a lot of life and a bit of training and then you had a baby on your lap sucking, I believe, on like a a protein bar wrapper the whole time, and then this time was oh.
3: <laughs>
2: a
0: lot of a lot of training conversation,
3: yeah, a lot
2: more training, very different.
0: So I appreciate you doing both for us. Thank you.
2: No, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks. And if people want to follow along um, with you, uh, what's your handle on on socials?
2: Um, it's just Lauren underscore e underscore Weeks. Still would love a new handle if somebody can help me out with something more creative than
1: that. Your name is your biggest asset, Lauren. Big
2: reason is I also want to t- I want to change my I want to change my last name, so when I if I change it then that that handle doesn't really make very much sense.
1: What is your what is your last name? Link. Well, I mean, what changing your if you're going to change <laughs> your Parasini. last name. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> th- thank you for that. Yes. Well, how Kirk, low this is, is Lauren. Lauren, of Kirk. <laughs> okay. That's our sign. That the we- lowest expectations. <laughs> <laughs> this is our sign. This needs to end. <laughs> All right. I'm cutting uh-huh. us off. This is over. Thank you, Lauren. Weeks. Uh.
3: <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> Till next time. Long forget. If anything resonated with you on today's episode and you're curious about taking your training to the next level, check out therunningpublic.com, where we have a training plan to fit your needs.